Hello and welcome to the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversations in cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein. And today's episode is brought to you by these brand new Airflow sticker packs. Yes, you can dedicate a new decoration to your bicycle rig with this exclusive sticker pack. We've got the alphabet, numeric numbers, and a plethora of triangle airflow thingamawatsits. They're very cool. You'll find them at dustincline.com shop. We've also got these new slow AF and one-wheel drive stickers that are also in the shop. Today's guest grew up in a small town in Minnesota, is a killer DJ, has been racing bikes for quite some time, both fixed gear crit road and almost mountain bikes. You can find her on Instagram, Erica A. Ashley. Please welcome... Erica Swanky. Just getting into it. You grew up in a small town in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I'm curious of what your first memory of cycling was, is. Um, so I grew up outside of a small town in Minnesota um, on some acreage on water. And, uh, you know, it was like all gravel roads out there. And so I think my first bike was like my brother's old Huffy that I put pink handlebars on. And like a few top tube protector and oh cool called it mine like this is my, but that's like the first time you have you remember like bicycles and such yeah yeah interesting yeah and then when did like cycling start to kind of like take hold in your life there's to have a bigger part yeah so when I went to college um I was living in Minneapolis and um I got into track bikes there um just because the fixed gear community was really budding and in uh at the time in Minneapolis so I got a track bike and then started racing alley cats shortly thereafter and then um really only did that for a long time um like I was pretty pretty anti the idea of like clip-in shoes or training rides or cycling kits or any of that stuff um even helmets really it's not very smart (laughs) As young, okay? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I moved to San Francisco, and that's when uh, I moved to San Francisco and I started my business. And then in that first year, I worked at Rafa part-time as for supplementary income. And, um, yeah, I bought a road bike off of a guy on Craigslist um, and started riding road, and then it just kind of went from there, I guess. When you're working at Rafa, it's – you're so in that scene. Everyone's constantly coming in from their road ride or heading out on one or whatever. So, um, it's like peer pressure. You're like, I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I will, I had always been fairly athletic. Like I was a competitive cross country skier and, um, I'd been a runner for a long time. And, and then I think with cycling, um, yeah, I just, I enjoyed going out on long road rides and suffering. So it's when you see everyone else doing it, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I got to get up at like 6 a.m. so I can get a ride in before I go to work. So I'm not just looking at everyone else and thinking, damn it, I want to do that. So I think. Yeah, that's- and you're, that's kind of in the culture of it, too. Um, I'm yeah. curious, like, how was it when you just, so you're kind of like getting new to cycling and then maybe this is Minneapolis like doing alley cats, like 
to me, that's like kind of a big step from just like commuting on a bike to actually being involved with, I guess you would call it the scene yeah. and the, the culture. At first, that can be kind of like intimidating and overwhelming because there's like such a set of rules and just competing in, in the city riding. But like that's kind of intense. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I think the Minneapolis scene is pretty unique in that it's very inclusive. Um, I think even now they were really on the forefront um, about focusing on WTF in in dirt rides and things. And um, Gino, who owns One on One, which is still a bike shop, is sort of people kind of call him the godfather of the Minneapolis cycling scene, and he's this really rad old mountain biker. And so he, you know, put me on my first track bike and had me do a few loops in the alley behind the shop where like all the bike messengers were hanging out drinking and um, sent me on my way. And just, he, I just remember him, I was walking out the door with the bike and he just yelled after me, bikes are freedom. And I just like, that really stuck in my brain. And then I think from there, it was just, you know, you had a bike and so people were encouraging for you to come out and race. Um, there were, there was a big, there was a strong presence of women in the scene. There were, there was at least one, uh, all women's alley cat at the time. So it wasn't, I think the really amazing thing about being there is that there wasn't, it wasn't very intimidating. Um, you could really show up and race and, and people were really supportive. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't scary. That's really interesting. I I actually had never thought about that. Yeah. Like in San Francisco, it's it's fucking like it's intense, everyone's tough, like it's kind of a tough love scenario. Yeah. It's it's not so like come on in everybody, let's like drink. Well, I so, mean, it's also a little bit like Midwest versus West Coast versus East Coast, you know. We're just 100%. a little bit nicer in the middle yes. of the country. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of ideal because then you can kind of get in the thing. And then when you go to like one of the coasts, you're like, oh, I'm already like, it's not, it's not new, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I went from the flatlands to San Francisco. So there were plenty of new things with climbing and descending. And how was that? uh, I mean, descending, I think was climbing was, you know, obviously like you just do it till you get better. Um, which is true for descending too, but I think climbing is more about embracing the pain and descending is more about um, embracing those little butterflies in your stomach when you're going around the corner and you're like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's almost the difference between control. When you're climbing, you could stop at any point yeah. and it's there. And descending, yeah. you're like, whoa. Like the moment when you... Or the first time when you realize like, oh, I don't really have control right now. I have to just see this through. Yeah. Holy fuck. That feeling is an interesting one. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting is one word for it. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think honestly, well, and then because when I, when I did finally get into racing, my focus was, you know, crits, fixed gear criteriums. And so it's not like, descending was a skill you needed for that. So oh, I think right. until I moved, now I live in Nevada City, California, which is um, in the foothills of the Sierras, and it's all climbing and descending. Like every road ride that I do is about a thousand feet every 10 miles. So um, 
it wasn't until I moved here that I actually started riding with people who are, you know, very um, accomplished bike racers that I was like, okay, I kind of have to figure this thing out now. It's not just, descending is no longer just the break I'm taking between intervals. It's actually something I need to be good at. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'd say like, maybe I would not say that I was a terribly good descender until six months ago. And I think I'm still like, wow. I'm not going to say that I'm an excellent descender. I'm just much better than I was. Yeah, you've improved, which that's awesome. It was one of my early COVID projects was to try to take QOMs on some of the descents in the area. Uh, oh, for descents? Holy yeah. shit. Which is a little dangerous. It yeah. It was more fun at the beginning when there were when we were in like true lockdown and there were no cars on the road. Totally. Uh, then now where uh, we get a little overrun with tourists this time of year. And so mm. I am... Uh, much more cautious my entire ride in in August than I am than I was being in April. It's like the after Memorial Day. It's a seasonal, yeah, like hunting season. <laughs> after Labor Day, I'll start descending aggressively again. There um, you go. That's yeah. Yeah, I one of one of my like weird little goals was every ride that I do ends with about a two mile descent back down to my house, Whoa. and I was like, I'm gonna do this descent no handed and whoa i finally did <laughs> holy shit it is it is not it's windy but it's not like you never have to touch the brakes you know and i think that's why i was right. like, this is the one where i'm gonna i can just shift my weight and i'm which don't do this guys this is dumb i live i live on this road with very little traffic and i did it during lockdown when there was even less traffic that's when it's okay to do things like <laughs> Also, oh. sorry, mom, when you listen to this. <laughs> That'll be the first sorry, mom. Hopefully we get a few more. Check. Uh, you know, it's funny, like, I, I, descending is like a confusing thing to me, too. Like, yeah. I feel like no one ever really showed me how to do it. And I'm yeah. always just like. Well, recently, I, like, this guy, Kurt, who is a local that I ride with, who um, is, was a U.S. pro national champion and um, raced for a good portion of his life. And he was sitting, he would just sit on my wheel and be like, this oh, is what sick. you're doing wrong. And I'm like, oh, I, I always needed this because I never had that when I got into cycling yeah. um, with, with like those specific things. So it was really nice to have Kurt just, and then he was like, I'm really sorry if I mansplained. And I was like, no, this is great. Keep telling me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, what are the, what are some like top three descending tips? Oh, geez. You're putting me on the spot here. Remember when what? I said I wasn't excellent? I think for me, like my, and I do this when I'm mountain biking. I do this on gravel rides. Um, whenever I am about to hit my brakes, the first thing I think of is, where's your weight? Like, can you just shift your weight hmm. instead of hitting the brakes? And that works. Well Interesting. Um, someone is going to watch this and eat shit really hard. <laughs> and come back and be like, Eric told me. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like where you're um, actively putting your weight is really important. Um, I especially think with like mountain biking and stuff, like where, where your weight is and where your body position is, is like, pretty crucial so so you're thinking of it like leaning forward leaning back 
in the or turn. Or just like putting your weight on the outside leg and like really consciously doing it when you're, when you're, you know, so you put it on your left leg if you're turning to the right, on your, on the low leg when you're turning. Oh yeah, um, like which inside. Like, it's funny because this is all stuff that I was doing when I would race road crits. I just never, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Or it wasn't as conscious. Never like switched over to like, oh, I'm still taking a corner at a high speed. So I should just really do the same thing. Um, yeah, they feel pretty different, yeah. I think, from flat to descending, like... Yeah, and I mean, part of it, too, is is that... So I've been in Nevada City since March. I went to L.A. for a shoot for two days, and I went to San Francisco for one day, um, and then I just was on the coast for a couple days, but that's, so like, what is that, five days? I've been in Nevada City all but five days since March. I've never spent this much time here prior to... Um, lockdown. So, cause usually I'm like in SF or Los Angeles or kind of bouncing around or traveling for racing, of course. Um, so I think part of it too, is just actually learning the descents here. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a big part learning the roads, but even like, like at one point I'm always asking people yeah. when, when I'm like, what is the thing? Some people be like, don't use your brakes. I'm like, what? Some people are like, um, I never will forget. Willis said to point your knee the way you want to go. And like the tendency for people is to like point their knee way out. So I used to point it like way over there Yeah. when I should just point it like right there. I was like, Oh, that's an interesting tip. That's also like a very good tip for mountain biking to think about where your eyeballs are, where your belly button's pointing and where your knees are pointing. Oh, interesting. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, steer it all together, not like. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> um, and I think also with descending, you know, and this is true, I think, just for cycling in general, but certainly applies for descending is just make sure that you're looking where you want to go and not where you don't want to go. Um, yeah, because that's always a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or that can end up poorly. <laughs> You're just going to end up going where you don't want to go. Which is right, funny. yeah. You're like, oh, okay, I guess that one works. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if I have another tip. I'd have to think about it. I also uh, haven't been riding as much lately. I had a, a like pretty gnarly crash in July and wound up in that emergency room. So. Oh, f- <laughs> whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year, man. <laughs> what is the, do you, you mind telling that story oh, or is it- no it's fine I just I so um I just kind of had decided this was going to be the summer that I got good at mountain biking and so I'd been out riding in the eastern Sierras quite a bit um and or not the eastern Sierra sorry in the lost Sierra quite a uh, bit like cool. Quincy Downeyville um that area and cool. I got a little cocky and <laughs> I was on one of my home trails that is just like super blown out come July and the dust must have been burying something in the middle oh. of the trail and I was definitely Fuck. not paying attention to where my weight was interesting <laughs> okay um and hit it and uh went down and I essentially like punched the ground with my handlebar still in with my left hand and I looked at my um at the file afterwards and I was going 
20 when I punched the ground. Holy cow. And then I hit it with my face. Fuck. And then, and then I rolled over and then, again, sorry, mom. Um, and then my bike was like on top of me on the trail and I was just like, oh, this is bad. And of course I was alone, which is also just not ideal. And I um, pulled my bike off the side of the trail and then oh, immediately threw up. <laughs> oh, was it hot too? Um, yeah, July. Yeah, so I immediately, I so then wow. I was like, oh, I, I was looking at my hand and I was like, pretty sure I broke my hand and I'm pretty sure I have a concussion. So I, I like tucked my hand into my jersey and then put my phone in my pocket and put an earbud in and then like oh. climbed to the point where I knew I had service and called a friend near the trailhead and was like, I need to go to the ER. I think I busted my hand. I might have a concussion. And she was like, okay, we'll see you in a minute. And like came and took me. Um, I ended up not breaking anything, but I just like did so much tendon damage to my hand that it's like, it's still really weak two months later. So. Damn. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you seem fine though. Like you don't, you yeah, know, you're not, yeah. you're not missing any words or drooling. So, <laughs> could be worse. I don't think I had a concussion. I think I just like got nervous because I threw up, and that's like a normally a, a big sign of a concussion. But I think it. I later developed a bar end bruise right at my stomach, and so I think oh, what wow. happened is I took a handlebar to the Oof. stomach, and that's why, not a concussion. What kind of mountain bike do you have? Um, I have a couple. I mostly ride my um, specialized dump jumper. What category, what flavor of mountain bike is that? I believe that is what you call a trail bike. Okay. I was very resistant to get into mountain bikes. I was, I was like not into it when we moved here. When I moved here, I was like, I am a roadie. That's what I'm going to do. And um, all of my friends were like, get a mountain bike. And I was like, like, that's cool. But I was like, you have road bikes, come ride road with me. And I successfully got them to like, come ride road with me for a while. And then eventually they were like, "Mm, how about you just come on the mountain bike trails with your gravel bike? And I was like, okay. And then after a while I bought a road bike or I'm sorry, a mountain bike. And then, um, it pretty much destroyed my last season of racing because every day that I was supposed to drive to a crit, I'd be like, I could drive three hours each way to race for 50 minutes, or I could just drive for 10 minutes and go (laughs) mountain biking all day. That's a pretty good choice. Yeah. So, (laughs) whoops. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Have you, have you started racing mountain bikes then? Because um, I, mean, so I was those... going to this year. That was my plan this year. I had put, we have a really awesome local dirt series and then um, Downeyville Classic, of course. Um, Big one. And so my intention was I had taken 2019 off of racing. And then I was like, 2020 is going to be my year, which I think a lot of people thought. Joke Maybe it could still be your year, huh? Jokes, jokes on us, guys. Yeah, um, well, considering true. I can't ride a mountain bike right now, I don't think this is my. Oh, answer. really? Because your hand—it's still. Yeah. So, like, whenever I hit anything rocky, oh, it's wow. like I like can't really grip a handlebar. So. Oh, uh, what about like one of those? 
It's probably too soon. It, that, July was not that long ago. Yeah, well, it's the problem is, is that it's like a weakness issue. I just need to go in and get an MRI. I've just been putting it off. Um, and what would that do? Show you if tendons are broken or something? Yeah, or just like give me an idea as to what's going on and what I can do to heal it. And they're like, give it time and do these exercises. Yeah, the thing about rural living is that you get a lot of doctors who are like, well, if it hurts, just don't do it. And you're like, mm. You're like, okay, that's $700. Thank you. You're like, now could you look at my goat? You're like, yes, I can. Yeah, yeah. He needs a shot of antibiotics. Exactly. <laughs> oh, um, interesting. Since I'm already here, take a look at this goat for me. Um, I was yeah, curious. Okay. About but I, uh, with mountain biking, I was going to, so I was going to race gravel and mountain bikes this year. And I did get some gravel racing in. Um, I did two gravel races before COVID hit. So. Sick. Um, that was, they were great. They and were then, fun. yeah. And burp, then, burp. you know, it ha what happened, happened. Um, but uh, we have a really rad women's group up here for mountain biking. Um, a little mm. over a year ago. Um, it would have been like April, 2019. So pretty recently, um, I went on a ride with two other women and we were both, or the, the three of us were just kind of talking about how we only ride with dudes and it would be nice to ride with women. And so we started a group text and we just started adding every woman who owned a mountain bike that we knew. And cool. now it's, um, I think there's like 60 people on the group text. Um, oh, dude, that gets noisy. Well, it's it's on WhatsApp, which is nice because you can mute it. And that's awesome. People are really good about just being like, "I'm going to be at the market at four. Let me Sick. know." And and then people who can go will be like, "In in in." And then and then it's kind of quiet until the next ride. So it's not cool. it's not super noisy, but it's also really nice because um, again, like group rides are a little bit different this year. You kind of have your little posse that you ride with, but. Um, I mean, last summer, I think I probably was riding two to three times a week with people from the group text. So it was oh, wow. really, yeah, it was just really easy to get out with the women. And then, and we all got so much better because of it. Because I think with mountain biking, it's tough if you go and then all of your friends, at least this is my experience. And it seems like a lot of people's experience is that all your friends are so good and you're not, for me, I, I like to see what lines you're taking. I like to see what your body position is and then kind of follow those lines and, you know, whatever. And I feel like that was really good for me for learning. And so getting to ride with people who were just a little bit better than I was, as opposed to like so much better that I lost them at the top of the trailhead, um, right. really helped. And then we all just kind of pushed each other because of that and everyone, it's amazing because it there was there was not a competitive vibe, but I am almost certain that if you ask anyone who was really engaged in the almost daily rides from that group text, that everyone got better. So it was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How often I guess well what I want to ask is how often are you riding now? But now is like sort of not real? Yeah, well, I, I am still riding, I'm still riding road quite a bit because it's, oh. there's not, you don't hit a lot of rocky surfaces on the road. 
Um, right. And then, you know, we just, we had a pretty um, decent sized fire about a week ago. And so um, that kind of put all the roads I usually ride in an evacuation zone. So obviously I was not trying to like cruise on out over there and get in the yeah. fire truck. So um, yeah, but I would say like, I still probably ride five to six days a week, which has been nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you know how many hours that turns into? Um, it depends upon how much other stuff I have going on in my life. But um, I would say like for the most part, I ride 12 to 16 hours a week. Oh, that's pretty, that's yeah. pretty dedicated. Yeah, I think, um, well, one, it's like, it's a big part of my social life. Awesome. Uh, and so a lot of my friends, that's just what we do is we go mountain biking or road riding or gravel or whatever. Um, that's been my sort of like gentle push to a lot of the women on the mountain bike group is I'm like, bye gravel bikes, bye gravel bikes. And then we can go do super long days. Um, so. So wait, are you, is, is that because of your hand or that's like, you prefer that? Like, I just, I'm just like, Oh, you already are like kind of down this, this, all-encompassing path of cycling. Let me just like push you a little further. <laughs> okay, so this is an interesting area that I'm, I'm also at the the precipice of this weird point. Yeah. Of like, so why wouldn't you just do like a longer day on the mountain bike? Well, like, you, like you an endurance. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think here it's. Where we are in Nevada City, you're going to run into a lot of fire roads and stuff. And honestly, the trails that we have here, with maybe one exception, um, you can ride most of them on your gravel bike. Oh, sick. Um, obviously, single track is more fun on your mountain bike, but you can, you know, you can ride them on a gravel bike. And so most of my gravel loops are, you know, like fire roads and single track, but like more mellow single track. So... Um, I just think that it's a, a more fun way to go experience those long days, but yeah. Like what is it that, is it the, is it the way that it feels to push for longer or is it has more of like that roadness to it? Cause road riding has this, like I always describe as like this edge that you can kind of like lean into and just do that for infinity Yeah. with, as far as like exertion while, I don't know shit about mountain biking, but mountain biking is more of this like on, off, on, off, on, off. So it's not, it's like a, it's a much different type of experience. Yeah. Physically well, outputting. Huh. I think, I'm, well, it's funny because here, if you want to go do a big day of mountain biking, you just go to Downeyville and you can go do a pretty big day of mountain biking. And obviously most likely you'll shuttle part of it. And so you're going to descend more than you climb. Um, oh. hmm. but, um, I mean, those days are really fun too, where you're out there for four hours on a mountain bike. And I think, um, the really fun thing about places like Downeyville or, uh, Mills Peak is another really good loop where you climb this really beautiful fire road up to this lookout and it's gorgeous. And then you descend this super rocky, uh, single track all the way back down to town. Um, and, you know, that's like a three, four hour loop. Um, Mountain bike? Yeah. 
Have you done that I on a not take a gravel? Okay. Do not take a gravel bike. <laughs> it's like to it's hits a point where you're like, you can I, do it, but it just is so not the experience not sucks. Fun. I like not to fun. be able to feel my wrists and my hands and you know, my butt at the end of a ride. And I don't yes. think that, that will be your experience if you rode that particular trail. Plus, I think mountain buggers would come up next to you and be like, what are you doing? Right. Um, yeah. But uh, so I think here there is a lot of mountain bike experiences where, especially at Downeyville, where you're just like, I have been descending for over an hour. This is amazing. Whoa. Yeah. But I, I, I lean with you towards like a little bit more endurance, like yeah. descending for an hour. Whatever. Like, it sounds kind of cool, but yeah, I'm, that I'm, doesn't I, sell know, it. I haven't ever tried to put words to it, but it's kind of like, I think it's the same thing that I really like about cross-country skiing um, as opposed to downhill skiing, right? Because when I tell people I'm a skier, they're like, oh, let's go out to the lifts or whatever. So, I don't know. Clearly, <laughs> Wherever they go, do their <laughs> stick sliding. <laughs> Um, although I think backcountry is maybe something I would get into this winter. I feel like maybe this is the winter that I get into backcountry. But anyway, so um, uh, there is something about that, like, repetitive kind of meditative lull that you can get into on a long road or a long gravel ride. Um, and And honestly, I think the reason that I push some of the women here more towards gravel is just I do think living where we live, like some people are sort of like, I'm sorry, you ride your bike on what road? Because it seems terrifying if you've never done it before to like ride your bike on a road where the speed limit is 45 miles an hour, you know, and there's cars. Um, oh, like road riding. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why like, I feel like oh. gravel is just a little bit more accessible if you're used to trail riding, but Interesting. Yeah, it's I, I'm like on this edge of like just about getting like a cross country mountain bike. Yeah. Which is like the gravel bike of mountain bikes. Yeah. So that's what I got when I first got oh, a mountain bike is I got a Epic, and all of my friends oh. were like, why did you buy that bike? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, they're like, you need a trail bike. And I was and for here we are. You, cross-country bike is great and yes like as soon as I got my stump jumper I was like what have I been doing but um, oh really well but it depends on what you want to do because for me I there is very few trails here that I wouldn't just go take my gravel bike on um so okay but then why not just take like the cross-country bike on that I do is that it, too sometimes is it too um, similar or is it not enough difference Hmm. I think, man, I don't, you know what? I never think about it this much. <laughs> it's more just like, I finished that last cup of coffee and I'm like, what bike do I want to ride today? That one. All right. Hmm. Here we go. But why, why do you choose the bike that you choose? <laughs> um, is it the comfort more of control? An emotional decision than a logic based decision. You're like, that one's blue and that one's green. Of course. No, I think, I mean, honestly, I think it's like, Oh, it's a Tuesday. The trails should be empty. Everyone's at work, you know, or like, um, it's really hot out. If I go do this loop, I can swim in the middle. It's but what does that have to do with the bike? I mean, then if I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do this loop. That's got a fair amount of single track 
and gravel climbs, then I have to decide if I want to, I guess, yeah, okay, so once I'm there, <laughs> this is because this is I've had a glass of wine. No, okay. like, <laughs> Uh-oh. It's your idea. <laughs> my fault. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. No, my mother would never care about this part. Um, uh, I think, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just depends on what you're feeling, I guess. Some some days you're like, I I want to go. Okay, I'm gonna descend this trail, and I really just want to, you know, rip down that trail. So I guess I'll take my cross country bike, and you oh. know, I think maybe that. Have you? Uh, do you find yourself riding one of the mountain bikes more than the others, or is it all just kind of mixed in there? Um, I'd probably say I ride my stump jumper more, yeah. But yeah, the trail but bike. Also, but also because most of my mountain biking, actually, this is probably a better way to look at it. If I'm going by myself, I'm almost always on my cross country bike because I'm riding from my house to the trails, riding the trails and then riding home. And so totally. for a ride like that, I feel like the cross country bike is better. If I'm going with my friends, we are going to go, we're going to meet at the market and ride, or we're going to like head out to Downeyville. And then obviously I want to trip. There. And then we got you, oh I love it it's perfect and then do you feel like the experience between the cross country and the trail bike is that different it must be yeah um well I think a big thing for me is is that I can just fit a lot wider tire on my trail bike um I think that is where I really noticed the difference when I switched over um, what 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 number are we talking like what is wider I actually, I, I have no idea yeah is okay point something. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's like a four point. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a seven point eight. Um, yeah, they're black. <laughs> they're black. There's like rectangles all over them. Yeah, I think if I look at the side, it will tell me what size it is. Uh, <laughs> it might. <laughs> but I think that was something I really noticed, um, especially in like berms and things like that. The wider tire, I was like, oh, okay. I get it. Yeah, which is similar to gravel. That's, a, you know. So every my advice to you, if you're going to buy a cross-country bike, buy one with good clearance. Love it. Because you can, and that's, that's true for pretty much all of these off-road bikes that I've learned is, if you can do that, that goes for the gravel bike, obviously, the mountain bike. You kind of get Even to, you get more. Like if you can't put at least 28s on a road bike, I don't know why you own it, personally. Well, then it kind of starts turning into like golf club status. What'd you say? It turns into like golf club status. You're yeah, like, well, that one's for right. this and that one's came, for this. As soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, I'm an asshole. <laughs> also, I, mean, I remember 20 minutes ago when I was like, I was way too cool for clip-in shoes. <laughs> now she's too cool for 28, so I just I like, can't you can keep up. You can 25 on that thing. What are you doing? <laughs> Living in the past, you weirdo. I was cool once. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be cool. I've been on the internet. Uh, oh, where where do we go from here? Uh, um, I wonder. I wonder if we should talk about how did you, DJing. Mm -hmm. How did this come about? How did you start doing this? Um, I have a lot of questions about it. I know nothing. Yeah, of it. it was a little weird. Um, I. Uh, 
maybe not weird. Um, so I moved to Chicago right after college. Um, well, I went to Vancouver, BC for a while and then wound up in Chicago. And, um, when I moved there, I didn't have a job and, um, I was working at an arts nonprofit and then also volunteering at the, this community radio station. That was really great. Um, and I was DJing at just like bars and things like that. And this woman, yeah. And this woman approached me and asked me to come work for her, um, at her DJ company agency. And she was like, um, we do, private events, we do weddings. And I was like, oh, wedding DJ, oh. And then she's like, no, 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 we do like hipster weddings. They're actually really fun. They're like parties, yeah. Yeah, she's like, come. She's like, we do oh. weddings of people who actually have good taste in music. She's like, just come like shadow a couple of my DJs. Cool. If you like it. Um, so yeah, so at that point I was kind of already, um, you know, like I had a weekly radio show. Um, that was very I was very garage and punk and psych and blues heavy, I think would probably be the best way to describe it. And then, um, and then when I would do, um, when I would spin vinyl at, at clubs and bars and stuff, that was more, more new wave, I guess. And then, um, yeah, and then I started DJing for her, and then that's when I kind of went from DJing as this hobby to DJing as this thing I was doing professionally, and it was, you know, the bulk of my income. So I started doing it in Chicago, and then I moved to San Francisco um, in 2012, and then um, started a company here, and then um, started DJing here, and have been DJing, aside from that, you know, short stint at Rafa I mentioned earlier, I've been pretty much a full-time professional DJ for about 10 years now, so. Okay, I got a lot of questions here. Okay, so, go. Uh, so you, we'll start with the record, uh, the, the radio show. Mm-hmm. Was it basically like, here's a time slot, play whatever you want? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, all of them. Three hours to do whatever I wanted. Oh, that's a long time. I know, it was great. So how, like, to me, that sounds so fucking overwhelming. Like, oh, really? it, no, was- you have to pick a, like, a, okay, we're going to back up even more. Okay. Would you make like mixtapes, like tapes for friends and stuff when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, so I can credit my dad for a lot of this. Like he is a super big music nerd and, you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere, my parents were very um, careful to encourage, like, encourage me to explore things outside of what was just kind of offered to me. Um, and then also just expose me to things that I wasn't going to be exposed to. And one of those things was my dad. My dad is like a very big music snot, which is amazing. And he was, you know, when I was growing up, he was like making sure that I was hearing lots of different types of, of music and good music at that. And wow. so I think that was part of it. I mean, his record collection is insane. It is so big. Um, they actually just bought a house and they're moving right now. And my mother called me and she was like, I'm making your dad get rid of some of his, cause he also just like hoards vintage stereo equipment. Oh, equipment too. Oh my God. Yeah, like I'm making him get rid of some. And I was like, 
and just ship it to California. I got room in the garage. Um, like I'll be there on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that was a big part of it. And then I think just because of that, and that was something that I always did with my dad. I mean, I started going to shows with my dad when I was 14 and Whoa. all through, well, all through for, college, really. What was the first show he took you to? Um, oh, I should know this. I think the first show was maybe like the wallflowers or something, which is not a good example of being. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of get what you can get. It was probably in Minneapolis that John Doe opened John Doe of the LA punk band X. Oh, um, and on the car ride home, my dad sort of explained to me like essentially what, cause when you're, you know, 14 or whatever, you don't really understand. Um, I mean, you do to a certain extent, but I don't, I don't think that you really truly think about music as the art form, you know? And I think for him, he was cool. sort of like, let's talk about the show and like what, you know, like what that guy was doing and all of that. Cool. So I think it was, it was that obviously like hmm. kind of laid the groundwork for me to become more interested in music. Um, but I have seen Sonic Youth with my dad I've seen, you know, the Flaming Lips with my dad. I've seen Neil Young. I've seen um, the Walkmen, Broken Social Scene, Modest Mouse, like all these bands that were like, you know, really popular, especially when I was in college. And I would tell him I wanted to go to a show and he would get us put on the list and we would go. And it was felt very so cool when like all of my college friends were like, that show sold out. And I was like, yeah, my dad got us on the list. <laughs> Wait, so you, does your dad work in the music industry in some he capacity? Also, he also had a radio show. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and so the radio station that he DJed at um, would often have tickets available to stuff. And at the time, I was going to college in Minneapolis, and, um, you know, they were living like a couple hours from it, but he would just, like, take the Minneapolis shows and then drive down, and we'd go together. Um yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember some of the other artists I've seen with my dad, but we have been to a lot. We've seen a lot of live music together, which is really great. And so um, I think when it came time to do a radio show, like someone gave me three hours to DJ, I was just like, well, if my dad can do this, like I can do this. It's fine. You That's know? awesome. Yeah, that perspective actually is a good one for just kind of in life. I've yeah. noticed, you know, if you well, want to accomplish something. Too, when you were like, that jump to alley cats. I was like, well, if these people can do it, or even when I was starting my business, I think I was so, I mean, I have an English degree. Like, what do I know about running a business? But um, I think for me, I was just thinking about, <laughs> this again is going to make me sound like a little bit of a jerk, but I was like, there are people who have, you know, way fewer skills than I do. And they are successfully running businesses. So who's to say that I can't do it? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I try to apply that attitude to things. Well, it's basically the opposite of holding yourself back. Yeah. You're kind of like using that. You could use this power for good or evil. And you're just like, well, you know, if I shift the perspective this way from yeah. like, who am I? I can't do shit to like, well, if they can do it, I could probably do it. Yeah. Like that's a... It does stand over my head, though. Like, 
the house that I'm sitting in right now, I bought by myself. And I don't know if I recommend owning a home by yourself. It is a big project. But I was like, other people do it. It'll be fun. <laughs> so right. It, it, uh, it has its moments of, you know, where I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad that I tried that. And then it has moments of like, maybe I should have been a little bit more cautious there. Uh, that's an interesting one, too. So I, I've, you know, learned and read a lot of things about like, basically what you're saying is to overextend yourself or to try things that are a little bit harder or uncomfortable is that's essentially where growth happens is in between that. Yeah. What is that? I feel like that is the ultimate Instagram meme. Like nothing good happens in your comfort zone or whatever. I, I always say it sounds so, so cliche, but no pain, no gain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true though, but that, but if you look at I mean, just like, I think as a bike racer in general, like cycling and racing kind of brings out these personalities of people who um, are definitely not afraid of hard work and um, are relatively type A and are pretty fearless. I mean, especially like, you know, so when I first started racing, I went from, you know, like buying a road bike on Craigslist to like racing a fixed gear criterium in a very short period of time. And like, that is like such a dangerous way to race your bike, you know? Um, I think like yeah. track bikes in general, um, but also or criteriums or really anything, I guess, like any way, any way that you race your bike, you're essentially being like, I'm going to do this thing. That's kind of dangerous by default as fast as I can. And, um, yeah, you have to just have that kind of, if this person can do it, I can do it attitude to succeed in that. I think personally. Yeah. Fearless. Like, yeah. But also I, I, I agree, you know, there is a certain amount of danger. Yeah. And maybe it, for but... other people, it's like more purely competitive drive drive, which like, obviously there's that too, but I think for me, part of it too is just like I just want to see if I can do this you know oh I like that yeah interesting and then okay hmm uh okay wait more DJ questions okay so Sorry. how like you got to do a fucking three hour chunk it, this could be I now I start thinking you know you yeah. can tailor well, it to different so I would play a certain amount of um new music every set but how do you know all the songs? Because you only get to pick one song from each thing. Like, I listen to a lot of music. I spend a lot of time listening to music. So Still to this day. Yeah. And I think especially then when I was DJing a ton, when I had a radio show and I had, you know, like a, a few nights a month at bars and I was doing private events as well. I, my brain kind of enters this space when I'm DJing that much where every time I hear a song, I think about how, like how, how I could play it, what I could mix it into or out of like, is it, would it be good for the radio show? Would it be good for this event I have coming up? You know, like what, where exactly would I kind of fit this song into the soundscape of all my various gigs? Um, and then, so you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. What were you going to say? Do you think of all the songs as like a, it's like a big piece that you like weave with all these 
little chunks? Oh, you mean like, do I think of a set as kind of one? Yeah, made out of a lot of little ones. Yeah, I don't know if I think of it as like, I definitely have kind of a um, progression that I stick to. I think my radio show, for example, I started at 9 a.m. and I ended at noon. Um, So when I went in, it was more kind of like psych ethereal stuff. And then if there was anything that was like a little bit more like punch you in the face punk rock, I was definitely going to save that for the last hour of the set. Um, How courteous. (laughs) It sounds professional to do that instead of like, whoa, it's fucking everything. Who cares? But I think for me, like, and as a creative, maybe you can relate to this is I think you're always trying to balance what, and less so with my radio show, but more so when I'm live DJing, um, you're always trying to balance what your vision is with what you think um, people are going to receive in the way that you want them to, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing, DJ, do you have to play to the audience? Cause it's like, it's an alive thing, right? So is it, is it changing through the, time that you're doing it you mean like what do you mean by changing so do you have so maybe we'll think about in like a live scenario Mm -hmm. do you have like the whole thing kind of pictured in your head beforehand or are you just starting with this stuff and then kind of like reading the room and then shifting over here and over there yeah it really depends on the gig um if i'm trying to get people to dance i pull a ton of music that i want to play way more than i need Yep. Great. Just kind of put it in a crate and I'm like, this is where I'm going to start. This is where I want to end. I definitely want to hit X, Y, and Z. And then I'll kind of just feel it out to see how I get there because sometimes, and I like to pull everything from Hmm. safe stuff that I know is going to work. It's like a little bit wild stuff because sometimes you're DJing something and people are just ready to get rowdy or, you know, all of a sudden you look out and realize a ton of people took Molly. And so you can get a little bit more weird, you know, it's, cool. it's all like, it's a little, every gig is a little different. That's great though. Don't Cause do if drugs. <laughs> don't do drugs, do drugs. Sorry, mom. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, for the radio show is just kind of what I talked about, but that was usually, I usually went in there with a, pretty solid idea about what I was going to play for the three hours. Um, the only real changes I would make, and I always tried to focus, you know, Chicago is a very music rich city. So I always tried to focus uh, a fair amount on local artists as well. Oh, cool. Um, if someone had a show coming up that I was going to go to, I would make sure to play something by them and mention where the show was. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And then you know, a lot of times too, it was like, oh, I just saw this person live and this particular song that they played live is still really burning in my brain. So I'm going to play that. Um, but I would, I would go in and then I'd also see whatever new stuff was in the studio um, and potentially add some of that to my set. But for the most part, you know, every now and then there would be something where I had been DJing all weekend and my show was on Monday mornings at 9 a.m., and I would come on and put like Marquee Moon by television on, which is like a nine minute song and just kind of like run around the studio and pull a bunch of CDs and be like, uh, this will be fine. This is right. Fine. Yeah. You know, um, but for the most part, it was like pretty well. Thought out and then what kind of a scenario 
are you okay wait maybe are you making playlists kind of all the time in your head just for your life um yeah i think so it's been really interesting so prior to covid um you know, a lot of the DJing that I was doing was, um, for like, was client focused is probably a good way to say it. So, um, it's been really, the one really nice thing about taking a break from any client focused DJing, um, I've done some music curation during this time. Um, so obviously that is still client focused work, but I'm remembering what sounds I like and what sounds excite me and what I like to listen to. And so I've probably made more personal playlists during COVID than I had like in the two years prior. Um, and part of it too is just having more time to ride and I like a good riding playlist. So. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Should I send you one? You can put it in the notes on YouTube. Yeah. Hell yeah. Or actually also, do you have like a Spotify where people yeah. can like follow you and then they can yeah. follow your playlist? Yeah, but I have no idea how to direct you to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so we'll, great at self-promotion. <laughs> we'll put a link to something that will be... I will. Yeah. Put, yeah, we'll put a link to a playlist that will be on my Spotify and then you can see my profile from there and go. That's great. Um, yeah. So And that was actually a question I had too is like, do... Are, is music different when it's for you than when it's for work? Yeah. I assume it to be. Definitely. I think what I get really excited about is probably a little bit too weird to hear. That makes a ton of sense because yeah. you're so inundated with music that it would need to get weird to be interesting. Yeah. And that, you know, that's not true across the board. I definitely listen to stuff that I think my clients would like to, um, but I think when I put on a record for me, um, yeah, I don't know. I Maybe like a mix. Maybe like some of it you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to want to hear this. But also, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's kind of funny living here, living in Nevada City, because there's really there's a music scene here and it's great but it is like definitely more singer songwriter focused. Um, there's some people making some pretty good psych music. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm gonna talk a little shit right now. There's a lot of burning man DJs in the area, which is when I tell people that I'm a DJ, they're like, Oh, do you DJ burning man? I'm like, no. But wait, wouldn't, isn't, I've never been, but isn't Burning Man everything? So you're like, it doesn't fucking, no, everything goes. It's not like, more EDM. Yeah, and I'm just, that's just not my, not my vibe. Yeah, there's so many kinds of DJs. Yeah, so, you know, and there's like a couple venues here where, uh, ah, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Where people, uh, that really cater to that. I mean, because there is a following and whatever. If you're into it, rap. Be into it. But what I was, where I was going with this is, I think before moving up here, so much of the music that I chose to see live, or was listening to, or was engaging with, or when I look back at like any any involvement in music communities that I've had, it's definitely been more like garage punk noise mm, interesting um, metal focused and like that like 
it's really good when you just want to put a record on, but there is, and, and when I had a radio show, it was all very focused on that sound, but, um, there, yeah, there's not a lot of people who want to hear it at their weddings. That's not entirely true. I've definitely DJed a few weddings where people, um, are like, yeah, I'm going to walk down the aisle to the descendants. And I was like, yes. um but I think for the most part but I do I do like the music that I play for them too um you know I love Robin which is and Lizzo and all that stuff um a lot a lot of iconopop a lot of the pop music I love I mean Prince is probably one of my most favorite recording artists and everybody loves and knows Prince so are you spending a lot of time, I got a few questions, okay. listening to new music? And then when you listen to music, are you listening to songs or full albums? Hmm. Uh, good question. I lately have been listening to more new music than I had prior to this. And I think, well, or I guess a better way to say that is um, I had been listening to music before, new music before, but with more thinking about what my clients wanted to hear, um, especially with corporate events, things like that, you know, just, and, and less about getting excited about new records, but, um, that's something that I've been, uh, making a larger effort to do. Um, I have one playlist that's just, it's called, I don't remember what it's called exactly. It's called something like listening now, where I usually just drop entire albums in that I'm listening to currently. And sometimes there's some older stuff in there that I'm, rediscovering or discovering for the first time. Um, but I tend to listen to entire albums. Cool. Yeah. I think I keep wondering if that's like a part of how we grew up. Cause that's how yeah. we were introduced to music. Yeah. And I mean, I have a record player and I love putting on, you know, an LP and, um, but even when I'm driving somewhere, it's although I will say that I think when I'm writing, I almost never listen to full albums. It's always a playlist. Oh. But when I'm home or when I'm driving, it's pretty much always albums. And then always music. Do you always have music on? Yeah, or a podcast, pretty much. Totally. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So there's something that I've noticed that happens when, like, uh, say there's a band that you really like and they have a new album come out. Yeah. And you, there's like a gestation period. Yeah. Like the first, first listen. I love it. Yeah. Maybe you can explain that. <laughs> no, I think, well, I think it's funny because everyone experiences music in such a different way. And I think that's one of the really wonderful things about music is it serves a lot of different purposes. Um, it, and, and people, you know, I think a song that can really make you feel something, whether it's love or makes you feel super uncomfortable or whatever is, is to me, successful music. You know, even if you hear it and you're just like repulsed by it, it's like, it still evoked some sort of response in you. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, sometimes people hear a new record by their favorite artists and they're listening for that kind of comfort that you get mm. from hearing cool. that artist that you've listened to so much. And when it's a new record and it's unfamiliar, and especially if they've done something new with production or whatever, um, it probably takes you a little bit to get back to that place of comfort and familiarity. Or yeah. Cause they, I mean, 
because we're all changing all the time. So, like, of course it's going to be new and different. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird when it's... Yeah, and uh, I started I mean, thinking about it. feel that way, right, as a visual artist. Like, the work that you're making now is not, I would assume, is developed from the work you were making five years ago. Yeah, right. Like, it always, it's always building on itself. Right. Yeah, and I think any musician is doing the same thing. Yeah, I really, I think there are some bands where my favorite record of theirs has has already been released, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever they put out now, I'm still going to listen to you. Um, but, and then there are bands where I listen to their record and I hear kind of little bits of a certain sound. And then I hear they have a new record. I'm like, oh, I wonder where they went with it. Because the last record had a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, you know, and then it's kind of exciting to listen to it for the first time. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Just a little windy. (laughs) Wait, when you listen to music, do you ever listen to it with just headphones and just fucking like, like just listen to the music? Or are you kind of doing stuff? I probably not with headphones. Um, I have some speakers I really love in my living room right now. Um, and I think everything sounds great through them. So, right. So, I, I mean, that's probably like, the. We'll put music on and then, you know, sit and listen to a record for sure. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Recently, that's... I learned that cool. my speakers are positioned really well that if I open the windows in my living room and sit on my front steps it's like acoustically really nice oh that's that's been uh that's been a thing lately so you're just like always sitting on your front step and the people are like she's sitting on her step again fucking well no one can see me sitting on my front step because i live in the woods so that's fucking cool too (laughs) you got all the answers (laughs) but i mean if they did whatever they could right weird Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say, I think again, like that is something that has been really nice about this time where everything is slowed down is, um, you know, I think DJing and then, um, all the things that I was doing, racing and working on my house and it was, and all the traveling from, cause mostly when I DJed, I did, I did a little bit here, but it was a lot in San Francisco or Los Angeles or Mexico or, you know, wherever. Oh. And so, um, between that and all the travel that you do for racing, I mean, especially when I was racing red hooks and we were, you know, it was lots of international travel or just fixed years and fixed year criteriums in general. Um, wow. I think there just never really felt like there was the time unless I was on an airplane to like really truly listen to music. And that has been something that I've really enjoyed about this time is just feeling, feeling like I have this time to kind of reconnect with a lot of things that I love that sort of um, were shrunk down and fit into my life in the way that they could be. And now it's kind of like, I can just kind of put on a record or like go on a long road ride or do whatever and not feel like I'm just staying on the hamster wheel so yeah 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 slowing down is kind of how I read that yeah it's been nice um and then obviously whenever I'm working on my house I've been renovating my house since I bought it um 
either I'll put music on for that. I think that's a really great time to listen to an album the whole way through. So, but I would, those times I found that like a new album in that scenario, it's, it's, I've discovered that it totally does a disservice to the album for yeah. me because you get used to like the, the overarching like beat breakdown, da 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 or whatever, like the, 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 the very surface level of it and you don't get the like the body of it or the soul of it yeah it's kind of passive listening versus active listening right there you go yeah so but you you can get tired of it from passively listening and just never get into the active yeah but then it's really interesting because then you can come back to that same record two three years later and listen to it really for the first time and you know you're like oh wow I really didn't give this one the time it deserved. So that is yeah. a really nice thing about music is like, aside from your lifespan, there is really no limit as to, as to time as to like when you discover it, because once it's out there, it's out there. What do you mean? No limit to your lifespan? Like, no, 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 like, like, a, like you, the amount, like the amount of time you have to discover music, it's not like someone puts an album out and you only have a year to listen to it. Oh, yeah, it's not ephemeral. Yes. It's so. It's foreverable. Forever. I don't know the word for that. It, you know what I mean? It's like archival. You don't make it to that gallery show. You probably don't get to see that art or whatever. Um, with but with music, it's it's especially now with Spotify and Dude, Apple Music. Yeah. I mean you can discover and, and music podcasts and, um, Oh, yeah, do you know any good music podcasts? Um, yesterday when I was driving home, I listened to, um, I actually had never listened to their radio before, but, um, Aquarium Drunkard is a good one. They do a podcast, they interview artists, um, and they have a, it's called, I think it's just called like Aquarium Drunkard Radio or something. Um, and I listened to that, the playlist they had made yesterday when I was driving home, which was great because it was lots of garage and psych and that kind of indie stuff. Um, and then um, I still try to listen to things like New Music Friday from NPR because um, I do, I think because of the line of work I'm in, it's important to you know, stay knowledgeable in all types of music. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, those are a couple of the music podcasts I listen to. Um, yeah. And then have you, I'm sure you've listened to All Songs Considered? Oh, yes, yeah. So New Music Friday is part of All Songs Considered. That's what I thought, yeah. They do, a, a, like, a phenomenal job. Like, yeah. I'm always like, I don't know if they're going to, and I'm like, okay, they're obviously way smarter than me because. I, uh, I personally feel as though they could, diversify their uh voices that are part that are critiquing the music a little bit but uh, mm, other than mm -hmm. that i i definitely really like all um all songs considered and the tiny desk concert series is really excellent yeah those are cool especially they've been doing the um tiny desks from home um oh, this musician sorry. whose name i'm blanking on right now which is sad because uh, you should all go check this out. I'll, I'll try really hard to remember, but he is a multi-instrumentalist. Um, and he literally like for his video, he like put all these clones of himself in it and they all oh, stayed wow. together. And it was really cool. It was really beautiful. Um, but he's one of those artists who 
records all of his own own um he or he plays all the instruments and does all the vocals on his records he's just insanely talented and which is amazing because the first time I heard him I was like he kind of reminds me of Prince and then I read that about him which is something Prince did so oh really yeah cool I didn't know that yeah cool and uh, weird reference Trent Reznor also is one of those too (laughs) really you know I take back the surprise phrase that doesn't actually surprise me that guy he, is an interesting, interesting human. Dude, he's a genius yeah. for sure. I mean, he's just a good artist, you know? Yeah. Whatever, like the flavor that he creates, you know, the, the palette that he works with is is of a certain style, just like Prince's, just like Rex or whatever. Yeah. But they're all kind of the same tier of like Oh yeah, brilliance. I'm not going to throw any shade on Nine Inch Nails fans. I think that they're a really dynamic and excellent band. I mean that it's you're talking about one person. Yeah. Which is well, fucking the, I guess crazy. That's true, one person. When they play live, there's Oh yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um yeah. Cool. Well, uh is there any other like parting words of wisdom that you have for mom? <laughs> <laughs> um uh no. Be careful if you go practice any of those descending things I recommended because let's remember I'm still not that great. <laughs> Careful practicing any of those DJ tips that she just told us. You can wear a helmet when you're DJing. You got to point your knee when you're selecting songs. (laughs) Point your knee when you're selecting songs. And only listen to Prince. What if you tried to DJ with your knee? (laughs) With a helmet and a full kit. Hmm? Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Big shout out to Erica Swanky for spending her time with us. We have a link to a playlist or few in the links below. And uh, don't forget about those new sticker packs, huh? The Airflow, the Slow AF, One Mile Drive. We got all your sticker pleasures covered. Much respect. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. Avita Zane.